Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. It's a blessing to be with you guys. I have a love relationship with Warrington because I have some of my good friends here. I've got Pete over here. I feel like I saw Steve. Was that Steve? I've not seen Steve in like I don't know how many years. Steve, where are you? Oh, oh. <laughs> I might see him later. But it's just so good to be back here in Warrington. I live down the road, Manchester, where God lives. So it's good to. <laughs> it's good. To <laughs> it's, it's good to just bring a bit of God into Warrington today. <laughs> well, no, I'm just being silly. But yes, God is amazing. He's doing incredible things around the world. And only if our eyes would be open to discern that. I'm not all about trying to get God to bless what I'm doing. I'm about asking God what he is doing and getting on board with that. Because the blessing is where God is moving. Are, are you with me? And so where God is, I want to guarantee, I want to say this very boldly, clearly. God is in the move of prayer right now, more than ever before. And I know when we talk about prayer, oftentimes feelings of guilt and all that. Oh, yeah, I'm not good enough. Listen, I've been pressing into God doing this for many years. And as, as much as I've grown, there's still more room for growth. And I am still reaching. Even, even Paul the Apostle said he's still pressing on. The guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament. So that means you should never get to a place where you're like, I've arrived. So think about the most incredible theologian, Bible teacher that you think knows everything you think there is to know about God. They haven't arrived. <laughs> and if they think they've arrived, they're deceived. Because on this journey, you keep growing and growing and growing in God. So I want to start by sharing a, 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 just a short story about some of my journey. Because I often like to start with something like this because it's about to get intense. So you might want to buckle up. <laughs> and let, just a few disclaimers. I am not mad at you. I am honestly a nice guy. Trust me. I am, I am really nice. If you were to meet me outside of this meeting after this platform and you were to greet me, I'm very, you know, you, you, you like me. I trust, trust me. You like me. But when I'm speaking and teaching, I step into something that is an anointing that God has placed on me. And that is to be a challenge and to be a catalyst. So you're going to feel uncomfortable. You're probably going to get mad. And I'm glad there are no stones here for you to stone me. <laughs> But it's okay. I want you to know where I'm coming from when I share these things. Because I've been in a certain way. I didn't even know the people. I didn't know if they were Christians or not. A friend invited me to this thing. It was like meant to be a fundraiser. It was all these wealthy people around the table. And so we had a nice meal, all dressed out. And he shared a bit about his stuff. And then he was like, oh, James, I didn't share about what you do. So I just, because he talked for so long, I thought I'll just make mine really brief. It was like, I don't know, three minutes. Something really brief. I sat down. One guy at the other side of the table, looked at my friend and said to him, thank you so much for what you shared. I really understand what you're talking about. And they looked at me, I was like, but well, you've offended me. How dare you imply I'm not a Christian? And he just exploded in this meeting. And this is how the meeting ended. <laughs> so honestly, he was so mad, his friends were trying to calm him down. So I looked at my friend, I said, what did I say? He's like, I don't think you said anything. I'm thinking, Lord, what have I done? I'm saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm thinking all this, like, oh, Lord, what have I done? Anyway, all of a sudden, I had a revelation 
I didn't say anything offensive, but when I started to speak, the Spirit of God on me was stirring conviction. And then God showed me something I'd never seen up until that point. When conviction comes on you, oftentimes there are different manifestations you see in Scripture. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached. He said they were caught to the heart. And then their response, and that's conviction, caught to the heart. Their response to that conviction was, they said, what shall we do to be saved? So there was humility, there was, there was contrition, there was a response of wanting to, uh, to grow and learn. But there's another response for conviction. And that is when Stephen preached. If you know your Bible, Stephen preached. The Bible also says they were caught to the heart. And you know what they did? They picked up stones and stoned them to death. So conviction can have a manifestation of a response of humility and actually brokenness and turning to God. Or conviction can have a response of anger in people. I didn't plan to say this, but some of you are getting mad at the wrong things. You could step into an atmosphere and someone gets mad at you for no apparent reason. Have you ever considered that it's not just because they don't like your face? Could it be that you bring the presence of God into that space and the presence of God you're carrying is agitating their demons and so now their demons are manifesting through them and they don't even realize they're manifesting. Oh, by the way, newsflash, demons are real, angels are real, hell is real, heaven is real, just get over it. <laughs> and if you don't believe these things are real, then I'm sorry, it's too late. And you don't want to wait till it's really too late to get on the other side of eternity. Because these things are... So your presence, you can carry the presence of God into spaces and things can happen. And you need to be aware of that. I'm not saying every single time someone's mad at you, that's what's happening. But you've got to be aware of that. <laughs> these things do happen. And so I'm saying all that as a preface to what I'm about to share. Now, my mom, uh, it was Mother's Day coming up soon, I believe. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> my mom's birthday is this Wednesday. And I want to start by just honoring her because... Um, as a person who grew up in a family, my parents are missionaries in a, in a missionary kind of household. I saw a life of prayer modeled uh, by my parents, by my mom, uh, gathering us together regularly to pray as a family. We prayed, and uh, she had this thing where she had us all, all the children. We all had to pray one after the other. And in all honesty, I never enjoyed prayer. I thought it was just boring. There wasn't anything that was stirring in my heart at that time. I didn't see the point of doing it. Uh, but I couldn't shake off this experience, which happened many times, where I would go into my mom's room, maybe to ask her for something, uh, and many, 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 many times this happened, I will see her on her knees praying. And I knew instinctively that I, didn't, I shouldn't disturb her praying, but at the same time, I had a feeling that at the time I didn't know it was conviction, but now I know it's conviction. And so I realized when you're a believer that's serious about your walk with God, there's something that happens in you and to you. When you see someone else doing something you're supposed to do that you're not doing, that convicts you about doing it. <laughs> so seeing my mom pray at home was something being deposited in me. And look at me years later, and I'm leading something to press. And by the way, if you told me years back I'll be doing this, I'll be like, you're crazy. Because one, I didn't like any kind of public speaking. I didn't plan to be in ministry. Uh, long story, but I had a personality transplant. That's another kind of website of still I'm not going to go into that detail. You know when you're on the web and you click a link and it opens up this whole other information? I don't want to go into all that stuff, but some encounters with God can radically transform your whole life, and that was one of, that was one of my testimonies. But 
the example I saw of my mom at home planted seeds in my heart that would later germinate and bear fruit into what I'm doing right now. So I want to say to you parents, even grandparents, don't underestimate the example that your, the, the impact of the example of your life before your children and your grandchildren, even if right now they may not be serving God, your example still has an impact. Guess what? They may try to fight your words, but they can't fight your prayers because your prayers have no geographic limit and they have prophetic implications. So, Praying over them, even though they might be resisting, don't feel discouraged. And, you know, I'm hearing someone say, well, yeah, but I've been praying for a long time. We're going to come to that in a few moments. <laughs> However, those seeds being planted in me, uh, being at home, seeing my mom uh, live a life of prayer, uh, just really did something in me that I believe God is using even right now in my life. And um, I want to say something challenging. If your Christianity doesn't work at home, don't bother exporting it. You say you're a Christian, where is the, where's the evidence of the fact that you've encountered something of another world? Are you bothered about the fact that your life as a Christian is no different to the person that doesn't know Jesus? You talk the same way, you're worried about the same things, you're stuck with the same addictions, your patterns are still the same. Is there any evidence of life that you've encountered something from another world? And if that's not working in you, what are you trying to advertise to the world as being a Christian? Because these days we have evangelists that sometimes are trying to be an advert for a product they are not actually experiencing themselves. So they're trying to say, oh yeah, Jesus loves you. Come to Jesus. Jesus is going to blah, 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 blah. Oh, geez, Christianity is about what's it? It's about relationship, not religion. They themselves are not having relationship. Okay. How many of you say Christianity is about relationship? I've said that. We all say that. You all know that saying. We all say Christianity is not about religion. It's about relationship. Yes, that's true. But if you break that down, relationship means communication. Relationship means if myself and Pete talk enough on the phone, if he calls me and I don't look at my phone to see who is calling and I answer the phone by hearing his voice, I should know it's Pete speaking. Because we have history or we have, if your wife calls you on the phone, husband, and she, you, don't, you don't even know it's her, you should be able to tell it's her. Because you have history. Of, so relationship is not superficial. And this is where we struggle in prayer. We think prayer is often a means to an end. That is why our foundations are weak and not able to uh, carry the weight of longevity for decades. Because I'm telling you, God is calling us to journey in Him, not just for a year or two or for a few months after a preacher comes and gets us all stirred up and then two weeks later the fire is gone. No, we're meant to be in this for decades. Radical Christianity is not the fact that you said yes to God at the worship service, or you cried during the worship, or you went on a mission trip to Ukraine. Or you, that's no radical. That could be radical, but in reality, radical Christianity, from my understanding, listen, it's growing steady in your passion for God for decades. So this time next year, if you're really walking with God, you should be more on fire than you are right now. But in our churches, it's the reverse most times. It seems like those who have been preaching the longest are the most cynical. 
Um, well, maybe not here. Maybe not Warren saying, okay. <laughs> In my experience, sometimes they've been the most resistant to what God is doing because they think because they've been a Christian for 15 years, that equates to spiritual maturity. No. You may have been a Christian for 15 years and you're still in spiritual nappies. Because spiritual maturity comes from that face time with God where you are transformed. It doesn't actually just come from listening to a preach. You can listen to amazing preaches all day and not be changed. Think about it. We've got the most amazing preachers on the planet right now. All on YouTube. Just go on YouTube. Find the most amazing preachers. But oftentimes, we're not seeing the church manifest the same glory of the book of Acts. And your theme and your key scripture is Acts 2.42. Am I right? Why is it that the glory of the church today does not compare to the book of Acts? Listen, in the book of Acts, in Acts 5, they lied and they died. Have you forgotten that scripture? <laughs> Imagine you come to church. Maybe you're visiting for the first time and the pastor gets up saying, and today we just want to uh, spend a moment to remember the family of Ananias and Sapphira who lost uh, uh, two members of their family on the same day when they lied before the Holy Spirit. Let's just pray for comfort over their family today. Imagine you walked into that church service. Do you think you're going to want to stay there? <laughs> like, oh my goodness, what kind of church is this? People die for lying? I'm out. So if people were scared to join them, yet their numbers were increasing, it wasn't their great preaching that brought the people. It wasn't their great band. I thank God for great musicians. It wasn't anything of the external. It was because they were tapping into spiritual resources. And through those resources in the place of prayer, God was drawing the people. Are you with me? So there, the early church had such a deep conviction and the culture they were emulating, the culture they were living out, a culture of prayer that I believe we in the Western church need to step into. Now, I'm aware I've not read any scripture, so let's make this meeting legal. Let's turn to uh, uh, Ephesians, which is where you've been reading, actually. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at a few scriptures, and um, some I, just, I might just have to make reference to because of time. So I'm going to read a few things very quickly. Ephesians 6, I know you've been here for a while, and I just want to touch on a, a verse from here. Ephesians 6, 14, standing therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put, on, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Before I read verse 18, I just want to make a commentary on that last verse, verse 18. It's amazing that the offensive weapon we have is the sword of the Spirit. And you know, people think you can just pray. Now, now let, me, let me just backtrack before I say something that might, might not come across the best. So listen, Jesus said this, when you pray, say. Everyone say, say. Jesus didn't say, when you pray, think. Now, don't get me wrong, we just read the scripture in Psalms, be still and know that I'm God. I do believe in silent prayer. In fact, I had some quiet time at home. So, when I come to a congregation like this and we're about to pray, and the pastor, the leader says, let's pray, and everyone keeps quiet, I say to people, I had my quiet time at home. <laughs> I have not come here to have a quiet time. 
Jesus says, when you pray, when you pray, why? Because words have significance in the realm of the Spirit. Words have no geographic limitation and have prophetic implications. So here, the offensive weapon to quench the doubts of... Well, actually, we have the shield of faith to quench that of the enemy. But the offensive weapon to attack and cause havoc is the sword. And the sword is the word. And the word has to come from your mouth. You don't fight thoughts with thoughts. You fight thoughts with words. Because the enemy will try to bring all kinds of thoughts into your head. And you fight them by opening your mouth. That's why oftentimes the enemy will try to put emotions on you that make you, like the last thing you want to do when you're feeling depressed or discouraged is open your mouth and pray. I don't know about you, but that's the last thing I often feel like doing. It's like, I know I should do that, but everything in me doesn't want to do it. I don't feel like speaking out the word because the enemy wants to shut your mouth. But I want to say to the British people of Warrington, it's time for the lion to roar. I'm going to say that one more time. It's time for the British lion to roar again. Release your sound. Because I know when you're watching football, you release your sound. I've heard you shout there and get all excited about that. But why is it that when we come to a spiritual environment, all of a sudden, your personality shuts down? And you're like, okay, I'm going to be very conservative and British right now. Because this is what we do. We don't raise our hands. We just, you know, we just calm, cool, and collected. It's not British. On the football field, that's not what I see. On the football field, they're not calm, cool, and collected, are they? So why in the church do we have to be calm, cool, and collected? Oh, I have got a blood brother who is calm, cool, and collected. When he's mad, when he's glad, when he's sad, the same tone of voice. That is not me! (laughs) Now, if he's going to pray and he maintains that personality, that's okay. Because that is him. But that is not me. And you don't need to be intimidated by me being me. And you don't need to be scared about you being you either. If you're going to express joy and excitement and be loud and crazy because of a football match, it means your emotions are easily excitable and you're able to express yourself. So why is it that God cannot have that part of you? Why? It tells me you love football more than you love God. And didn't the Bible say, love the Lord your God with all... How can you love God with all your heart and your emotions be disconnected? Tell me. Impossible. If you're going to love God with all your heart, you're going to be invested in it. So it captivates your whole being. And I'm trying to say to you, your idea of what it means to be British, you better align that with what it means to be a child of the kingdom. Because in the Bible, in Acts, in Acts 5, I believe, or maybe somewhere thereabouts, when the church was threatened and they got together to pray, do you know what the Bible says? They lifted their voices. And after they prayed, the place where they had prayed was shaken. Oftentimes, we go to prayer meetings, we say, let's pray. Silence. Because the enemy wants to shut your mouth. And the sword has to be activated. 
<laughs> and see, in the armor of God, there's nothing for your backside. You, you probably heard this in the previous sessions you've had. Do you realize there's nothing for your backside in the armor of God? It's all covering the front. Why? Because you were never designed to turn your back and run away from the enemy. You turn your back and run, you're a target. You are built for advancement. Everything in the armor of God is there for, to cause you to, to advance. And if, the Bible says even when you're struggling to advance and you can't advance, maintain the ground you've gained. Stand! And you do that by speaking. That's why after he says all that, we come to verse 18. He says, you know, actually verse 17 says, Take the helmet of salvation, the soul of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then verse 18, praying always. So the way I believe you activate the, the, the armor of God is this verse right now. Everyone say praying. Pray. Always. Pray. With all prayer. Now he goes on. All prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this very end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And it goes on and on. But the, the, the bit I want to zoom in on is the bit where it says, praying always. Everyone say praying always. God has built you to be a praying machine. Why would I say something so challenging, so bold, even though right now you may not feel like it? Well, let's go back to Genesis 1.26. This is what God says. Let us make man in our image. You all know that scripture? God didn't say in the first, it, it, it was a plural term, let us. And theologians agree that's the Godhead declaring that. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man. So Jesus was there. The Word was there when they said, let us make man. Are you with me? Now, we're not going to read it, but I'm going to make reference to it. Luke 18, Jesus, the Word, who was not created but was in the beginning. He now comes as a man in human form, and look at what he says. He says in Luke 18, he says, Jesus told a parable about how man ought always to pray. And the New King James, the King James says, man ought always to pray and not faint. So Jesus is giving a commentary on the meeting they had in Genesis 1.26, when it says, let us make man. By the way, when I say man, I don't mean just men. It's actually mankind. So that includes women as well. So let us make mankind. Then Jesus came and says, mankind is designed by the original design we had in Genesis 1.26 to always pray. Everyone say, always pray. Always pray and not faint. So the opposite of being prayerful is not being prayerless. It's fainting. You're either praying or fainting. There is no middle ground. When you pray, you are building your spiritual capacity, your connection with the realm of the Spirit, with the Heavenly Father, and that causes you to advance. So when you're not engaging in prayer, you actually, by default, backslide. You know, it's kind of like trying to swim against the tide. Now, I don't swim. I don't know if it's because I'm black, but I don't see lots of black people swimming in the Olympics. Maybe. I don't know if I've seen that before. Anyway, besides the point. <laughs> and if you're black and you swim, and you swim, yay to you. <laughs> 
But this is what I know about swimming. If you're trying to swim against the tide, and you're swimming upstream, and the force coming downstream is greater than what you're trying, the force of trying to apply upstream, you know what happens, right? By default, you're going to be swept away. That is fainting. So, you have to apply a force. To make progress swimming, you have to apply a force that's greater than that which is coming against you. Because if you apply the same force at, at, at that, uh, as that which is coming at you, you don't make any spiritual progress. To make spiritual progress, you need to apply spiritual force that's greater than that which is coming against you. And this is where Matthew 11 fits in. It says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and only the violent people are able to make significant spiritual progress. That's my kind of paraphrase. So, you will not make any progress in your spiritual journey if you're not violent. And when I say violent, I don't mean physically violent. I mean taking hold of your spiritual development and making a decision that, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever it looks like, make me a man of prayer. Make me a woman of prayer. That process is violent. Why? Because it's violent on your desires. Have you ever tried to pray, and you know you want to pray, but the fridge is calling your name, the TV is calling your name, your children are calling your name, and everything around you wants to get your distraction, and you know you want to go deep and focus, but you can't focus. And the reality is, you can't go deep in God on the run. You, you, you can't build a deep relationship without creating quality time. Imagine, imagine if I just come to you, and now I don't, what's your name? Libby, yes. Imagine Libby, we just met today, and I somehow found out you had, you know, I don't know, 10 million pounds, and you kind of sounded to me like you're generous, and, and we don't know each other, and I just start getting in touch with you every now and then, and every time you hear from me is to ask for money. <laughs> you probably try to get away from me, right? Now, thank God that you are not God. <laughs> Our Heavenly Father, He has all the resources. And what He's after is relationship. But many of us just come to Him to get stuff. And the only time we talk to Him is when we're in trouble. So, Ukraine crisis happens. Intensity of prayer increases. God forbid, terror attack happens in the UK. Guess what happens? Intensity of prayer rises for the UK. Oh, someone has cancer in the family. Guess what happens? Intensity of prayer increases for that situation. As soon as that situation passes, you know what happens? Intensity drops. Oh, you've got an exam. Oh, pray. Intensity increases now. The, the, the exam passes. Intensity of the prayer drops. Oh, you're believing God for some money. You need a job. Prayer increase. The, the situation passes. Prayer drops. The next thing that happens, oh, you're having a difficulty in your relationship. Prayer, are, are you with me? So the graph of your prayer life is up and down. And the high points of your prayer life are all centered around needs. Now, God is a heavenly father and he's not mad about that. But that's not going to cause you to grow deep in God. And that's not the prayer life that will cause you to have longevity for decades. Because it's based around needs. Whereas God is after intimacy. God wants you to be with him for his sake only. Not because of what he can get from him, even though he wants to bless you. Not because of anything else apart from him. So for me, this is how my prayer life is structured. That is the utmost priority. 
That doesn't mean my needs are always met. That doesn't mean all the prayers I pray are always answered. That doesn't mean I have answers for some complicated situations in my life all the time. There's some areas of mystery I don't have answers for, like many of you in this room right now. But how is it that all these years, over 10 years, 12 years, 14 years, I've still been going strong in God and my prayer life has still been going deeper? The reason is the foundation of my prayer life has not been centered around needs. It's been centered around knowing God, centered around pursuing God. And so when it says pray always, the engine room for that kind of prayer is a desire for God, which the devil is going to fight more than anything. So you can come to church, listen to a message, yes, third, and then after a while, that desire wanes. Desire without discipline will dissipate. You can't just feel a desire, oh yes, I know I should pray, I want to spend more time with God. You, you can't just feel that desire and think that because you feel that desire, that's automatically going to translate into action. It doesn't necessarily work that way. The enemy is going to do everything he can to stop you from translating that desire into action. David said this in Psalm 27:4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, past tense, and that will I seek future tense. So what he's trying to say is, I have a desire, and that desire is going to translate into action. So in the same place from action means, the things that are most important to you, you make time for. I don't care how busy you are. The things that are most important to you, you're going to make time for. I, I, I had to, I mean, I was in Saudi Arabia just recently, and it was an incredible experience just being in a context where, you know, believers are persecuted and getting to hear about how they live out their faith. It was really, really impacting. But I had to get up really early to get to the airport. I think I had to be at the airport like 4 a.m. or something crazy like that. Now, it doesn't matter if I went to bed at 12 midnight. How many realize, because I have to catch a flight, if, I, if you had to catch a flight and it was 4 a.m., it doesn't matter whether you ended up going to bed at 12 midnight. Because that flight is important to you, you were going to get up. Even though you might need coffee and you might feel tired, you are still going to get up. Because that is at a place of utmost priority. So you're going to make, you're going to do everything to make that thing happen. Many of us don't desire God to that degree. We just desire God a little bit. The desire for God has not consumed us. I tell you a good prayer to pray. God Make me hungry for you again. Lord, I want to be consumed by desire for you such that that desire drives me to do crazy things. Like stay up in the night and pray. Like wake up early and pray because I am consumed by desire. Some of you need to understand that your desires for God has been contaminated. So you're here in church right now, listen to this crazy black guy speaking. However, right there, you know after this meeting, you're probably just going to go home and watch the movie. You're going to go home and watch, you know, I don't know if it's Champions League or whatever is on that right now. You're going to watch some football. And so next Sunday, I know you don't gather in this way all the time, but imagine, let's just imagine you do. And one Sunday you come together and you're like, I want more of you, God. And everyone's raised their hand. Yes, set a fire down in my soul. I want more of you. After church, football. Movies, friends, food. Next Sunday, I want more of you, God. Set a fight under my soul. After, after, the, after the meeting, football, movies, games, friends, all the stuff of the world. Next Sunday, do you realize from heaven's perspective, they don't believe what you're singing? Because you're saying, 
I want more of you. And God is saying back to you. Let's just say your name is Sarah. Sarah, by the way, if you're Sarah, I'm not picking on you. <laughs> it's just the first name that came to my head. <laughs> Sarah saying, I want more of you, God. And God shouts back, I want more of you, Sarah. I want more of you, James. God is shouting the same thing back at you that you're saying, I want more. Because you can't have more of God if you don't create any space for the more in your life. Your life is so full of busyness. Oh, I don't have time to pray. Yes, you have time to pray. I know you might be a full-time mom. I, I've got two kids, one on the way. And it's like, I understand that family life. But when something is important to you, you might need to go and lock yourself in the bathroom just to have some moments. If it's critical and important to you, you will make space for it. So my challenge to you today is, you ought always to pray. It's in your DNA. God built you that way. The sad thing is, you may have found a way to function disconnected from your original design. And heaven is wondering, how are these people functioning without connecting with me in, in the way they're supposed to? And you don't realize what you're missing out on because you are designed to pray. Simply put, I want to say, when we finish this meeting, get before God. In fact, we're going to have the band come up soon. Okay? We're going to have the band come up soon. And it might be a time for you to reflect and say, okay, Lord, what actions can I put in place starting today or tomorrow? You know, oftentimes I sit before the Lord in my diary because when you have a young family, you have a ministry going, oh, this is a side note. You can have a growing ministry to the masses and a shrinking heart towards God. You can fall in love with the work of God and not the God of the work. Just as a side note for those who are serving God in ministry. So I understand that the fact that I'm doing this is not automatic, that I just... Forget about my own personal time with God. And I don't pray because I'm about to preach. I preach because I have a prayer life. So it's, it's like prayer is at the foundation of what I'm doing. Not because I'm about to do something for God. Because many of us do ministry that way. Even in church, we're about to do an evangelistic crusade or evangelistic thing. Then we're mobilizing everyone to pray. There's nothing wrong with that model. I want to say this though. Show me the person that knows how to pray effectively, consistently, passionately, without crisis. And I show you the person that's rightly positioned to handle crisis when it arises. We're not called to be crisis-driven people. We're called to be people who are prayerful, full of prayer. So practically, what does this mean? Maybe you don't have a regular time of prayer. Well, that has to change this morning. <laughs> Say, Lord, okay, I want to wake up 30 minutes earlier. Start tomorrow morning. Set your alarm. If it's 30 minutes you set your goal for, Go for it. And you might go, well, 30 minutes, I want to I do more. I want to spend more. Maybe it's an hour. And maybe it's two hours. The point is not trying to put the time on it. The point is you have to stick to what you're committing yourself to. Think of it this way. God, uh, God came down to the garden when Adam sinned. And the first question God asked Adam was, Adam, how many know what question he asked him? Can you, can you echo out to me? Okay. God said to Adam, where are you? God didn't say to Adam, how are you? So God was expecting Adam to be somewhere because they met there regularly and he wasn't there. So God doesn't say, Adam, how are you doing today? It's like, Adam, where are you? Many of you, God is saying that to you right now because you made, you made a hard commitment to pray and seek him and you've not been showing up. And so you think, oh, well, I'm, I'm feeling depressed. See, listen, 
Pray when you're depressed. Pray when you're glad. Pray, pray when you're mad. Pray when life is difficult. Pray when life is easy. Pray when things are going good. Pray when things are going bad. Just pray. <laughs> don't forget about your emotions. Oh, yeah, I don't feel this. You're called a believer, not a feeler. You don't live by your emotions. Now, that's not to say your emotions are irrelevant because even the Lord says in scriptures that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Peace and joy affect your emotions, right? So he's not completely uh, ignorant of how you feel, but don't allow how you feel to now dictate your life of prayer. So you make a commitment to spend regular time with God and make that time quality. The more quality you have, the more that's going to spill over to quantity. You may start with 15 minutes and 30 minutes and an hour. Eventually, you're going to realize you want to invest more time in prayer. Jesus did this. The Bible says he got up a great while before daylight. And I have the band come up, please, because I'm, I'm running up now. Jesus got up a great while before daylight. Can I say to you, church, a great while before daylight is not 6 a.m. A great while before daylight, I don't know what time that is, maybe 3 a.m., maybe 4 a.m., but it's definitely not 6 a.m. So that communicates sacrifice. Jesus' prayer life was more important to him than food or sleep. Did you hear what I just said? Jesus' prayer life was more important to him than food or sleep. So let us just think of this logically. If there is any human being that ever lived that had an excuse not to pray... It is Jesus. If there's anyone that could be like, oh, you know what, God, you know. If I, I, I remember talking to some leaders some time ago, and, you know, one of them was asking me, wasn't asking, was more making a statement slash asking a question. Like, you know, why, why all these long prayers? You know, you know, I just feel like I should just say my one sentence to God and that's it. It's done. I'm like, okay, well, why don't you say that to Jesus? J Jesus prayed for hours. Now, my challenge to you is not that you start praying for hours right now because you may not have the muscle spiritually to do that. Just start where you are. But the point I'm trying to make is if Jesus was doing this for hours and it is through the night, six, seven, eight hours, who are you to think one minute is okay? Who are you? When God himself <laughs> is that invested in this technology of prayer, God himself does it. The Holy Spirit is an intercessor. Jesus is an intercessor. So don't you say to me, intercession is for some old ladies who are on pension at the back of the church. We send them all our prayer requests and we just get on with the work of God and they pray for us. That is deception. There is no such thing as a gift of prayer. Have you noticed the gift of prayer in scripture? Nowhere. Oh, James, you've got the gift of prayer. I don't. That's deception. If you want to be a person of prayer, just like going to the gym, you have to work at it. But the, the 21st century church has a problem with that word, work. Oh, you're being legalistic. You see, why is that 21st century church think anything that requires effort is legalism? That's a lie. It's not about the work per se as it is where you're working from. Let me just explain it this way. Jesus father says to him, this is my beloved son, sent into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he's fasting, he's praying. That activity was a work. The fasting and the prayer in the wilderness was a work. If you don't believe me, after this meeting, go on a three-day fast. 
as in three-day dry fast. And tell me that is not a work. It is a work. So Jesus went into a spiritual activity of fasting and prayer from the Father's love, not for the Father's love. Because he was confident that the Father loved him, that was his basis for his spiritual activity. So when I say make some time to pray, you're not trying to earn God's love by your prayer. Listen, even if you pray, if you don't pray after this meeting, God still loves you. However, God loves you, but it doesn't mean God can trust you. Love and trust, slightly different. I love my two-year-old, but I don't trust her with everything because she's not matured. And God wants you to mature in His presence. As you spend time with Him, He's going to start to deal with things in your heart, your jealousy, your unforgiveness, your loss, whatever it is. He's dealing with that in His presence. And as you, as you submit to the process, you mature in Him, and He can entrust you more things. So we're not trying to earn something from God per se. We're only positioning ourselves in alignment with God to receive in fullness and in manifestation what he's already made available to see that come to fruition it's like everything that god wants to do in your life is deposited in your spirit but for that thing to explode and come through your life you have to invest prayer in the presence of god no one is exempt from this so i want to say if you don't pray regularly start today and tomorrow morning when you decide to pray let me tell you the truth you might find it boring oh yeah I'm here to pray Lord I know James that crazy black guy was saying we should pray here we are Lord I felt a bit convicted I know I've not been praying okay Lord and you might run out of words <laughs> like okay Lord okay what else am I supposed to do right now okay I think I might just sing a song listen fight through the boredom you push through see our generation is so entertained we don't know how to push through the boredom that is not God that's, that's causing the boredom. It's your flesh that's the barrier. If you would learn to just stay there, even if you feel nothing, God is there. There's so much happening in the spirit realm that you cannot see. And you're just going to say, Lord, for this next hour, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to pray in tongues. If you pray in tongues, pray in tongues. That, I'm telling you, that's a huge part of my prayer life. Praying in the Spirit. If you're going to worship, worship. If you're going to stay in silence, stay in silence. If you're going to release even some requests, do that. But the point is, you stay there. Whether it's bored, whether it's boring to you, or whether it's exciting and God shows up. Okay, I'm going to round up with this. Daniel. See, because I don't have much time with you, I'm trying to just give you some practical things for you to understand that I don't just want you excited for now and then it fades off after a while. Daniel prayed three times a day. But only in the later parts of Daniel do we read about the encounters he had with angels and all these incredible end-time experiences. Now, I believe most of us would like to have encounters like that, wouldn't we? But Daniel did that three times a day for decades. And we don't read of anything spectacular happening. I'm, I'm sure that he did that for many years and he probably felt bored sometimes. And he just kept doing it because he was committed. Adam, where are you? Daniel, where? Daniel showed up. He kept showing up. When he was bored, he showed up. When he was excited, he showed up. When he was depressed, he showed up. When life was good, he showed up. He just kept showing up. And one day God was like, okay, now I am going to show up. Angel appears, dreams, visions, because consistency is the platform through which God brings encounters.
a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you understand with me this morning? We could go on and on and on, but I'm going to stop. I want you this morning, the goal of what I'm sharing really is to get you to a point where you decide, I will pray always. Man ought always to pray. Ephesians 6, praying always with all kinds of prayers. I am going to give myself to this. It's not going to be something for some guy at the back of the church or woman at the back of the church. I'm not going to outsource my prayer life. Lord, I am going to go deep in you. 2022, we are already in March. Lord, by December of this year, I want to be a lot deeper in you than I am right now. Does anybody want to say a fresh yes to God? I'm going to pray over you. Before I do, I want you to just close your eyes and just hold before your heart, uh, hold your heart before the Lord. I don't know how the Lord is challenging you this morning in the place of prayer to give yourself. Maybe you've been disconnected from your routine and your rhythms and God is calling you back to that. Maybe you've not even had a place of prayer ever and you're feeling stirred to start that afresh. Don't get me wrong, you can pray in the car, you can pray walking down the road. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's something special about creating an uninterrupted space. Jesus even said that. This morning, as you hold your heart before God, make you know, like people go to the gym and they have a target. They want to lose so much weight. They want to put on so much muscle or whatever. Hold this before the Lord as your spiritual target. Saying, Lord, this is my desire this morning to pray in this manner. See, the reason why I wanted to do this is it's important you have a picture in your mind and your heart before the Lord of where you want to head. Because hitting 80% of that target is better than hitting 100% of zero targets. You need to have a spiritual target. Where do you want to be this time next year? What kind of person of prayer do you want to be? So just hold that before the Lord right now, and I'm going to pray over you. You might want to lift your hands as a sign of just surrendering to the Lord, as a sign of saying, okay, Lord, here I am. I want to go deeper. I want to go past the shallow place. I want to push past the boredom barrier. I want to push past all those distractions. And I want to recommit myself to the secret place of being with you. So, Father, as we lift our hands all over this building this morning, there's nothing hidden from your sight. Lord, I know you're smiling down on this congregation that wants to be an Acts 242 community who are praying always. As we lift our hands to you right now, we say, Father, we ask for grace. Grace to keep showing up. Grace to keep going. Oh, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I break off the yes. discouragement yes. that has just rested on some people in this place because of not seeing certain answers to prayer. Prayed for someone and it didn't happen the way they prayed or they believed for things that didn't come to pass. Father, I ask them right now that discouragement and that yoke of heaviness and that cloud right now be lifted in the name of Jesus. And I release hope where there's been hopelessness. I release faith where there's been discouragement 
discouragement and lies of the enemy has come in. I'll prove all that in Jesus' name. And right now, I pray over Life Church that this will be a house of prayer. This will be a church of prayer that the least among the people here will be people who press deep into God and who know you for who you are, Father. So Lord, let the apathy break off even right now in the name of Jesus. Let the blindness be removed and let there be sight. Let the blockage of hearing be removed and let there be clarity of hearing in the Spirit. Let the heavy yokes on hearts be lifted, be destroyed even now, Father. I say, Lord, let there be a revival of intensity in devotion in this church. That this would be a church that when people come together to pray, there's an explosion because something has been going on at home. So, Father, set us afresh on fire again. We present our bodies, our lives on the altar. We say, let your fire fall. Let your fire fall on each member of this church that opens their heart to you. Even in this moment, Father, we are the sacrifice. Letting go of the distractions, we lay our lives down and we say, let your fire burn and make us a house as individuals, a house of prayer. In Jesus' name. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.